my privilege to invite back to our pulpit today, Brother Dave Reaver. Uh, I'm not going to give a bio of him because a major part of his ministry is his testimony, and I don't want to take anything away from that. I want to do something different, Dave. I've uh, known, him, known of him for years and years and years, and uh, I tell you, sometimes uh, we never know what kind of journey our lives are going to take. You never know what kind of turn may be. And I could talk a lot about what Dave has done, and I'm going to let him talk about that. What, what, I wanna, what I believe, and most of you that have been here for any length of time, one thing that I preach over and over and I try to wear you out with it is this truth, that we have things backward in our society today. We, we put a premium on what somebody can do, and we pay them millions of dollars a year to put a round ball through a round ring and an oblong football across the line, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. I love sports, and I happen to really love football. But I just want to tell you, the problem is that we put a premium on what people can do rather than what people are. And God says you become what you should be, and you'll do what you should do. And our world is filled with examples of the fact that people are not what they should be, so they do not do what they should do. And that God puts a premium on being. And I just want to tell you, he won't like this. I hope it embarrasses a fire out of him. But I don't know anybody who's become any more real and genuine than Dave Reaver. Let me tell you something. Suffering for the Lord physically in all those kind of ways, I think he needs, I think he deserves every hand clap and every bit of adoration he can give that, that he can receive. But I want to say one other thing. I know this is personal. I've met his wife a couple of times, general counsel places. Uh, I want to tell you, he married one strong lady. She stayed with this man through all this, and I just want to say it's a privilege to bring him to the pulpit, but it's going to be a greater privilege to spend eternity with Dave and Brenda Reaver. Will you welcome him to our pulpit this morning? God bless you. Thank you. You're just doing that because you mean it. <laughs> what a sweet introduction. I am not worthy of that, but my wife is. Pastor, thank you. You and your wife are such joyous people. You just, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm in a different church. I speak in churches 51, day, 51 Sundays a year. I always take Christmas off. Uh, I've been home. I, we added it up. And this year, I've been home 28 days. We're on the road all the time in ministry. And uh, I'm soon in England with the United States Air Force and the Royal Air Force of the, US, uh, of the United Kingdom. And uh, I, I work for Department of Defense as a resiliency trainer for military commanders worldwide, wherever our troops are. And I see a lot. I'm impressed very seldom. But I got to tell you something this morning. I am impressed with your worship. I'm impressed with the music. I am. I'm deeply impressed. I was listening to that drummer. I don't know why you got all that bulletproof glass around the man. <laughs> he is good. This 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 entire worship team. I, I'm telling you, you people are. If you want to someday go with me to some of the churches where they start out the worship with y'all pray for us now while we try to sing, they start singing and I start praying. <laughs> oh God, help me! And then them. You know what I'm impressed with? I'm impressed with the earnestness, the sincerity, the wholesomeness, the presence of God that's in this house right now. If you're visiting and you're not used to this, y'all come back now, you hear? This is what church is supposed to be like. And I hope you never take it for granted. 
I mean, maybe we're together for the first time, you and me. You're looking me over. Well, I'm looking you over. <laughs> You're wondering what happened to me, and I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering how y'all doing. I needed you this morning. I, uh, I don't ever admit this very often, but I'm pretty worn down right now. I'm, I'm beat up pretty bad. And I needed this drink of water. It's like you work, I, I don't get the privilege of working in the church Monday through Saturday. I'm always with the world. That's where God put me. Uh, if I told you where I've been in just the last uh, five or six weeks, it'd blow your mind. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something. There's always the right people at the right time in the right place that God lets me interface with them. And through spiritual osmosis, <laughs> I just draw from you. And to this morning, I came to give, but I am receiving. I am. And I'm, I'm being made stronger. And this is what the body of Christ is all about, you know. Uh, pastor's wife is so joyful. Met her this morning, and she's got some of my my shirt colors. Or I should say, I have some of her dress colors in my shirt. Uh, actually, I wear orange every now and then to remind me of our martyrs for Christ. Ninety thousand will be murdered this year for Christ. Ninety thousand average every year for the last decade. Almost a million martyrs have been sacrificed. And most of them to Islam. They have been martyred by Islam. And I stand here today to remind you and to remind myself to remember the families of those who don't get to sit in church and worship God like we have today. Who kneel in front of a man with a sharp knife who will take a pocket knife and behead the believer of Christ. Let's don't forget them. We're part of the same body. And we should hurt when they hurt. Let's remember them. I don't mean to be so somber. But that is a somber thought. It's, uh, it's time for me to introduce someone to you that she and her husband have been with me for 28 years. Most marriages don't last that long. And uh, Dave and Kathy Wampler have been partners in ministry for years. She, come on up, Kathy. Um, the sunset of my ministry is somewhere around the corner. I'm not going to rush it, but I know it's there. I'm 71, but I'm going on 50. Hollywood says 50 is the new 30. Common Core Math says I'm 21. You deduct 50 from 70 and you come up with 21. That's Common Core Math. So I'm feeling pretty good for the state of physical being I'm in. But I have been blessed with two of the most loyal friends my wife and I could have ever had. My grandson came in this weekend, and she wanted to be with that boy. So he plays football for in college, and he had this, this Saturday to be at home, Saturday and Sunday, to be at my home. So Brenda didn't come, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I never travel alone, period, ever, unless it's utter emergency. I never travel alone. I protect this ministry, our good name, and I'm going to protect it till the day I die. You don't have to be guilty. All you have to have is an accusation, and everybody believes the worst. So we protect our name. And Dave and Kathy have been my protectors for years now. And she's one of the greatest women speakers in the country. In fact, I'm having more and more difficulty keeping this couple with me on Sundays because she's called out so often now. But that's what I want, because whenever my sunset comes, she'll be at high noon and going strong. She's a great minister, and she's going to sing for you, but I want her to greet you. But I've asked her to sing a particular song. In America, we have our national anthem. What about in, in the church? We have anthems. I sing the mighty power of God. That's a great anthem. Uh, how great thou art, amazing grace. Go through the list. But one of my favorites of all was born out of one of the greatest tragedies. Horatio Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul, as he stood on the deck of a ship over the watery grave of his three daughters. Out of that tragedy came one of the great anthems of the church. 
She'll challenge you with a few words, but the song itself will minister to you in a great way. Would you welcome Mrs. Kathy Wampler? Thank you. Good morning. I, uh, I was born in Muskogee, so, you know, I'm an Okie. Yeah, I know. Oh, yay, got a few fans. Okay. Uh, we'll make a we'll meet later and have a little conversation um anyway it's good to be home <laughs> but I, I will say i was born and then we moved quickly so sorry we, i wasn't uh anyway i uh, i was thinking about a verse in the bible the psalmist david wrote a very short verse and i like those short ones sometimes because they're really easy to remember when we need it and that is this it says at what time i am afraid i will trust in you Amen. you know what that scripture tells me two things one i'm going to be afraid sometimes you know, we like to be big, strong Christians. We don't ever admit that we're afraid. But guess what? Every now and then, a doctor's report, a bank account, a lost loved one, something makes me afraid. But at what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Amen? That's the promise of that scripture is that I have a God in heaven that I can trust. I heard about a little boy that was memorizing that verse for Sunday school. And all week he practiced it and practiced it. And mom would start the verse and she would say, Johnny at what time I am afraid, and Johnny would say, I will trust in you. Oh, Johnny, good job. And they'd get in the van going to school, Johnny, at what time I am afraid, and Johnny would yell from the back of the minivan, I will trust in you. And oh, they were so proud. Johnny was memorizing the verse, and when he went to school the next week, Sunday school, he was going to be able to quote it, and he was going to get his little gold star by his name. So they were all excited, and in the process of learning this verse, one day, about halfway through the week, a, a storm came through town. You know those Oklahoma storms. Came through town and knocked out all of the power, and the house was in complete darkness. Mom and Dad were at one end of the house. Little Johnny's at the other end of the house. Oh, no. There's no lights. They can't see a thing, and they're worried about Johnny, and Mom and Dad are scrambling to get some candles lit, and they hear Johnny at the other end of the house, and they said, Mom and Dad, Johnny, Johnny, honey, we hear you. We hear you, honey. He said, I'm not afraid. Do you get the point? Johnny not only memorized the verse, but guess what we could learn from Johnny? Johnny knew when to apply the verse. You know a lot of verses, but do you know when to pull on them and apply them to your situation? Well, we went on a little further. Mom said, well, we're going to get Johnny to quote the rest of it. And they said, well, Johnny, why aren't you afraid? And he said, because I found a flashlight. Maybe next time, Johnny. Don't give up, son. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's going to be times in life we're going to be afraid. There's going to be times that something sets us back and tries to kick us back, and it's at that moment we have to dig deeper, go stronger, hold tighter to the hand that God is there because the God of our faith that God is there will not leave us, will not forsake us, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot change. And so when we face those moments, I want to tell you that when you're afraid, just lift your head, lift your hands, and say, Lord, I trust you because I know that with you, it is well with my soul.
my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll and in the John, would you mind bringing that chair for me? Uh, I'm going to, can you find a better song than that? Isn't that just beautiful? Those words get me lit up every time she sings it. She has three albums out here in the foyer. If you don't mind, I'll mention a few things. Uh, I can tell you the atmosphere you feel as she sings goes in your car. Thanks, John. Uh, also available is a brand new release of my comprehensive presentation of my story and how I was injured and God delivered me. It was shared at a little missions work there in Dallas, Fort Worth area called Gateway, and they only have 33,000 33, pardon me members. With that kind of money, they have the that kind of people. They have the money to produce really fine uh, features. This is one of the best productions of my story we've ever had, and they gave it to me as a gift. And I'm privileged to share it with you. If you like, come by. We have another one called Water Boy. Uh, it's a story I share. Without people in front of me, it's a very private moment in my life when I went 31 days with zero food, not one bite of food, not one grain of wheat past my lips. I drank water, no coffee, no nothing but water only. And what happened at the end of that? It was to be only a 30-day fast, but I couldn't find anything to eat on the 31st day. I was up in Alaska, deep in the bush, going to schools where some schools had only five children public schools, and every child in almost every school I went to was sexually molested. Alcohol and isolation drives guys up there to do things you cannot, we're not going to talk about. I will tell you this, I was on a divine mission. But I share that story what happened on the 31st day, the 30th, the night of the 30th day. It's crazy. And this I tell you, when you buy that, if you purchase it, do not do what I did. Don't try this at home is what I'm saying. Uh, I did it all wrong, and God saved me from actually killing myself from starvation. I lost 85 pounds in 31 days because I never slowed down. I kept going, doing everything I was doing, and stomping around in the, in the bush of Alaska to these schools. It's crazy what I did. But God honored the heart, the effort behind it. And I think it will speak volumes to you of the power of fasting. It's an amazing video. Another one, six videos, 17 episodes of some of the best TV you'll ever watch if you still have DVD players. I promise you, you'll enjoy them. One of them, we won Telly Awards in international competition with nations all over the world. We won one of the best awards ever, the People's Choice, and you'll see why. One of the programs, everybody in the program was burned. I called it the Crispy Critters. <laughs> If you're in junior high, you like that, don't you? <laughs> a book called Scarred Autobiography with endorsements from two men that were my heroes, and some would doubt this, but it's a fact. My staff knows they were dear friends to me. We had great friendship with Ronald Reagan and Dr. Billy Graham, and uh, I was invited by the family to his funeral not long ago, and we laid to rest one of the greatest warriors of the cross in entire human history. What a great man of God. Also available, a book called War and Recovery. The other is an autobiography. This is a compilation of amazing war stories. Most of them mine, some of my warriors. And here's what 
this book does. It interfaces all of the human suffering that we have known with scripture that gives value to loss. It will work for you. You don't have to go to Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan to get hurt. I went to war and I came home with a purple heart. Some of you went to divorce court and came home with a broken heart and a broken washer and the ex got the dryer and it worked because life is not fair. Think about what I'm saying. That book will help you. Lastly, we have a wonderful shirt, OWR, Operation Warrior Reconnect. It is recognized by the Department of Defense because they send us the active duty warriors that are hurt and broken and in the eyes of the world ruined, and we get them back on their feet. They come with no legs, and we get them back on their feet. Operation Warrior Reconnect with the forward flag on the right shoulder. I think you'll enjoy the shirt. Every penny of these materials goes to our warriors. I take no royalties, and I don't take any sales money. Zero. It all goes to our warriors to help them never to ever have to pay for a scholarship to, or to go through our program. We scholarship them. And I think that's a pretty good deal. We've had 5,000 warriors in our program. And none of them, not one penny, have they ever paid to be part of that program. That's just who we bring to us. That does not count the multiplied tens of thousands I address every year across America. Just the other day I spoke at Central Command Training and Resiliency for the United States Military Special Operations Command. And I had in one setting 19,000 troops. That's pretty amazing. I get to share my story and they insist that I share a little bit of my faith because my designation as a coach in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program, my designation is the spiritual man. I get paid to tell them about Jesus. Can you imagine? Even our chaplains don't get that kind of freedom. So I get to do that because God allowed things to come. Listen to every word and how I say what I'm saying right now. God allowed things to come into my path that he did not remove from that path that would challenge me and break me but he would restore me Humpty Dumpty's back baby I'm back in style so don't let don't let it sound negative and thank you for letting me sit uh, speaking of broken I was I jumped out of a helicopter in Iraq in 2011 and I landed wrong and my feet went out from under me and I hit the ground so hard I shattered Six vertebrae, and they, I went paralyzed. I went paralyzed my left leg. It still doesn't function properly. That's why I need a little help up steps. But I wore braces, and it was very, very difficult and awkward. But one day God said, I'll fix that. Well, the doctors did. They fixed part of it. They put in 12 screws and two rods, and I'm an inch taller than I used to be. <laughs> they stretched me out and then cinched it down. And uh, But... The Lord one day, after several years of wearing that brace, uh, God, God just spoke to me and said, it's a good time to take it off. I took it off, and for the first time, I took a step and didn't fall. And I was able to continue. It was weak, but now I can walk pretty good, but I can't stand very long. So I'm sorry to talk about myself. In fact, I'm going to talk about myself a little bit more because you need to know something. When I'm talking about myself, before I'm through, you'll realize I'm not talking about Dave. This is the broken vessel. I'm talking about what's inside the broken vessel. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. So we have two kinds of power, our power and God's power. So what's in your wallet? What's in your, because the wallet is our measure of success. If we're rich, we're successful. If we're poor, we're a failure. That's the American way. I'm going to tell you something. When I say what's in your wallet, I'm saying what's in your broken vessel. Because the common denominator of all earthen vessels is they're easily broken. Down through history, you can find shrouds of pottery, and they'll analyze it with, with uh, whatever machinery and determine its age. And it goes back to the earliest times of record of mankind. There were always earthen vessels. And they're always broken. Jesus said, take, drink, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. So if you want to be like Jesus, you got to be broken. 
Because until you're broken, you're like that horse out there running in Montana. Beautiful Mustangs. They're gorgeous. They're wild. Unbroken. They're so pretty and so useless. I've been in churches filled with people that are useless. They've never been broken. What good is a horse if he's not harnessed? What good is a horse if that power and strength that we measure engines power by, what good is it if it's never been harnessed and brought to a point of control, focused attack, and bang, you've got power, horsepower, because it's focused to those back wheels. I'm going to tell you something. Until we've been broken... We're taking up space in churches for people that need to be broken. And until you're broken, you're taking up space. Get broken. Feels good when it's over. You say, you're crazy, Dave. We were, no. No, when I was injured, there was no Dane Bramage. <laughs> All these girls on the front row. I got my amen corner around the front row right here. I love it, girls. Look at the guys behind you. Boys. You need to slide up another row and get in between these girls. What are you doing back here? I don't go to main churches where the young people fill up the front. That is what tells me this church will be here for years to come. I love it. Pastor John, you're a good youth pastor. There you are. Keep it up, Bubba. Keep it up. You're doing good. So I kind of grew up in church myself, actually. Uh, young people, I, my dad was pastor, so I went to that church. <laughs> yeah, boy, I wasn't stupid. <laughs> I like my teeth in my mouth. <laughs> he, my dad never hit me. He used the belt to do that. He had written on it, I need thee every hour. That's when your dad's a pastor and a disciplinarian. But my dad was my hero till the day he died. And now nobody measures up to him but Jesus. And Jesus is what he measured himself by. We should measure ourselves against Jesus, not each other. You got a pretty poor point of reference when your best example is someone no better off than you are. Jesus is always better off. He's always above. That's why he walked on the water. He didn't want to get wet. People have asked me, why did Jesus walk on the water? I said, he didn't want to do the backstroke. He got wet. So he walked. He wanted to stay dry. And, and the fact is, Jesus lived above the fray. And when we're in Christ, we live above the fray. We don't have to become part of it. Sometimes it gets us on the backside. We weren't expecting it. And I grew up in church, but I never, I never, never had it in my mind that I was immune from suffering because I was born and the mom I was born to almost died, never recovered for the rest of her life, suffered until for years and years, curled up in a fetal position in a nursing home. At 68 pounds, she went to be with Jesus. I found out when I was nine years old that it was when I was born that she almost died and never recovered. And my first thought was at nine years when I accidentally heard it, I wasn't supposed to hear it. I walked by the door to my mom's room where all this machinery kept her alive. The whole room was filled with medical equipment to keep her alive. And my dad was sitting there talking to her. And he made the statement, trying to encourage her to understand that she didn't sin and God judging her. That's not the way God does. Jesus died for our sins. So we wouldn't have to. So when someone says, repent and God will heal you, that's a lie out of hell. I'm going to tell you something. Repent and God will save you. But I'm going to tell you, God doesn't judge us with sickness because we make ourselves sick. We don't need a God doing that for us. We smoke ourselves, drink ourselves, eat ourselves to death. And I'm going to tell you, God gets always, why me, God? Don't do that. What if he answered you? I don't know, George. Just something about you I don't like. <laughs> Crispy critters. I'm glad you're laughing, not throwing books at me. But when I heard that, you know what a nine-year-old boy does? And they don't think right because they're not old enough yet. The synapse of the brain haven't connected, and he doesn't rationalize. And I thought, well, if I kill myself, mom will get better. First thought of suicide entered my mind when I was nine years old. I dealt with it for years and years. And one day I realized the grace of God, the mercy of God. I figured it out. We had a Mexican nanny 
I woke up every morning to David, David, dame un beso, under the pronto, give me a kiss right quick, and I'm out the door to play. I didn't speak English till I was six years old. I learned Spanish as my first language, and at six years old, I had to learn English, go to school, and then they told me, you are not a Mexican. <laughs> my Hispanic brain could not absorb that. I cried for weeks, and I remember when they told me. I remembered the inner confusion. And then I grow up and end up in a war in Vietnam and have to learn Vietnamese for interrogation. And I got my Vietnamese and my Spanish all mixed up, and it came out. They said, you're neither Vietnamese nor Spanish. You're Pentecostal. <laughs> I speak languages even God doesn't understand. I speak, and he says, what? I shared that with Pastor this morning. I thought I'd share it again. I got to tell you something, folks. I've lived a charmed life, the world would call it. It's been the most exciting, adventurous life. I travel all over the world with our troops, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bosnia, Kosovo, South Korea, North, China, uh, North Africa. I can go on forever, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a citizen of this country. My citizenship is in a place that hath foundations, and the builder and maker is God. That's where our citizenship is. So I have dual citizenship. I'm an American, but I'm a born-again American. You don't get much better off than that. Amen? So I still stand for the national anthem. They kneel if they want, but I'm standing for it. I'm going to stand for what I believe in. Amen. They can do what they want. That's their right. But I'm going to stand. I'm responsible for what I do. And... Uh, I think we win in the end. So growing up, I grew up in the household of faith. I grew up in the church. I grew up loving America. I did not have a television. We didn't have a TV when I was a kid. I was 21 years old when I heard about John Wayne. I was so impressed, I accepted him as my actor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I never did worship an actor. I mean, what, how, how much blood did they ever shed for me? These great football and basketball stars, how much have they ever bled for me? They bleed. They get a raise. They bleed for themselves. Bleed for me. So my hero was my dad. And he died at 92. He saw me through the darkest days of my life in many, many ways. And I was at Bible college studying for the ministry. You learn how to say it that way in Bible, Scott. Ministry. Sounds so howled, experienced, gruff, salty. And so I, I was in Bible college when I got this notice to go take my physical. I wrote back and told him, thank you for inquiring on my health. I feel fine. I took my physical. It's the only exam I passed that semester. It's truth. My grades dropped to almost nothing. I was working at General Dynamics, and I was making more money than my college president. And here I am thinking, why well, go to college? I'm making more money than the guy that went to college after college after college to become a president of a college. And my interest in learning dropped with my grades. But my interest in making money went up with my pay scale. That's totally backwards the way it ought to be. And I get this notice, and I'm being drafted. It was not a lottery. This was before the lottery. And they told me, take my physical. And so I, I took my physical, and it's the only exam I passed that semester, as I said. And I was so proud of my score, I got an O-plus on the blood test. <laughs> you got it. That's good. A lot of folks just look at me. I remember in training, boot camp training, my little short, uh, he, he was a tough little guy. Wasn't little, he, was, he was about as wise as he was tall. And he said to me, you're the only guy in this bunch went to college. I said, well, I guess, I guess I should say thank you. Well, you're the only one. I said, well, thank you. I said, my grades were below sea level. <laughs> he didn't get it. He's in the Navy. I, it, like I said, he's pretty short. It was over his head, you know. And they, they figured that I was because I went to college that I'd be a, I'd be a pretty good leader. I thought, they actually told me that and said, you're, you're, you're leadership material, you went to college. I, I'm flunking out of Bible school? I thought, we're gonna lose this war. <laughs> so they trained me, 
and I was trained in, after I got out of boot camp, I was trained in uh, Coronado, which is Southern California. And I was trained by SEAL Team 1. Served in Vietnam with SEAL Team 1, but I was not a SEAL. I was trained to work with the SEALs. I was of the smallest special operations group in the military. It was called the Brownwater Black Beret. And it was the most dangerous job I could have in my life. We had the highest killed in action per capita, but I can't prove it because we were not listed KIA, killed in action. We were listed MIA. When they don't retrieve a body, they can't call you killed in action until they retrieve a body or many years later. So the record shows MIA, but they were killed in action. And their names are on a memorial at our headquarters base in Coronado, California. I'm glad I lived through it. I'm glad I didn't die. And, and I'm going to tell you the truth that after my injury, I became very suicidal for the second time in my life. And finally, God would have to, he would have to deliver me. And I'm going to tell you, suicide is demonic. It, it, every, all hell comes against you. Some of you need to hear me right now. The enemy wants to destroy you. And if he can't, he wants you to destroy yourself. So listen carefully. Suicide's not a solution. Children, suicide's not a solution. Don't give it a second thought. That's the one that'll kill you. Don't dwell on it. Don't think on it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on hope. Hope is the last line of defense against suicide. And if you lose your hope, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that. Stay in church. Stay on the front row. Because you build your relationship in church. I married a little girl. We were both virgins. She wasn't my high school sweetheart. She was my junior high school sweetheart. I asked her to marry me when I was 16. And she said, well, I'm only 13. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me. And boy, it was a good right hand too. Bam. So now you know how I got hurt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we were both virgin when we married. And I say that in school, and the girls give me standing ovations. The boys salute in a peculiar way. And uh, I got to tell you, I am not ashamed of my history. I thought, sure, you know, on July 26th, and I'm going to say the year, young people, 1969. I know you're thinking, oh, that's right after the War of 1812. <laughs> it's after, but not right after. And uh, my little sweet high school, junior high school, now freshman in college, high school, uh, uh, college wife. I mean, I didn't have a chance to really hardly even get to be married long, and all of a sudden I'm in war. And she got stuck with a bill of goods. She married a handsome young prince and ended up with a frog. I tell everybody, I almost croaked. <laughs> you got it? All right, good. Someone over here got it. Yes, sir. And I kissed her goodbye at the airport and went to war. That wasn't, in our, that wasn't in our original plans. You don't know what tomorrow's going to be. We know this much about tomorrow, that God has that in control, but we don't. He's in control of tomorrow. The best I can do is plan for it and try to make it happen in a righteous way. But it's really up to God. When we walk by faith, not by sight, tomorrow is not a fearful thing. As long as I don't know what's tomorrow. I don't want to know tomorrow. If I had known when I was being drafted what I know now, I probably would have run for my life. Hello, Canada. But people have said to me many times, you'd do it again, wouldn't you? And I'm thinking, wow, that's interesting. I have the grenade blow up on me and they got the brain damage. Do it again. Are you out of your mind? I wouldn't have done it the first time if I'd known this was coming. But that's the secret. We don't know what's coming. So I look back and I say, well, all things being equal, if today I don't know what tomorrow is, and yesterday I didn't know what today was, yeah, I'd probably do it again because I don't know what's coming. So does that make any sense to you? Did I just put that out there where you can understand it? That the kids are nodding. Parents, it's your fault if you didn't understand. So here's what happened. I kissed her goodbye, and on my way to walk away from her, about five steps later, she says, Davy, and that's a term of endearment. If she had said, David, I would have just walked over to the corner she was about to send me to. 
But she said Davy, and that's a sweetheart name. And I stopped in my tracks, proud that I had not shed a tear, but still could taste the salt of her tears on my lips. And I turned around. Before I could turn around, tears filled my eyes. And I said, mad at myself, I said, what? And she asked me this question that haunts me to this day. Are you coming back? Ask any combat veteran in this room. Someone said that to you too in some way. Someone asked you. You ask yourself, will I come back from this? Well, here you are. We made it. Wasn't an easy road. But we're here because God had a plan for our lives. And the devil couldn't pluck us out of the hand of God. No weapon formed against me could prosper. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We got the advantage. You see, we're vessels filled with the excellency of power. As long as it's not my power and it's God's power, I got it made. The devil doesn't have a chance. He's stuck out there in left field wondering, is anybody going to hit the ball to him? And I want you to understand me. I am proud of my scars and stripes for my country. I would do it again. I would. And I'm proud of the men and women I had the privilege to serve with. And I don't know of any women during that time in combat other than nurses. Today, our precious young women are being trained to do the work that I was trained to do. I'm not sure I know how to feel about that. And I don't want that to be offensive. I, I don't view women equal to men. I feel them a little better than us. I married one of them. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't have been here. Pastor... Thank you for acknowledging Brenda. She's the reason I want to come home so bad. Not just home from the war, but home from the hospital. I've had 57 surgeries in 49 years. Seven in the last 18 months. Since I last saw you, I have a nose. They built it 18 months ago. They made my nose. I have, for the first time, two nostrils. I got something I can stick in your business. I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. I have two eyelids. They were, I got those about uh, two and a half months ago. They made my eyelids. And they built my lips back. My mouth was inverted and I drooled all the time. I'm always having to dab my mouth. Now, I don't drool except with Brenda. The lips are there to better to kiss her with and to wink with eyelids and to smell that Chanel number five. Well, I got to tell you something. I'm trying to make it clear that no matter what I've been through, that's past. It's where I am and who I am today that matters. I am a man born of the spirit of God, born again into the family of God. I'm a happy man. Married to the same girl for 51 years. That's not bad, folks. That's hanging in there on her part. Oh, my. We've never uttered the D word. The divorce word never passed our lips. The M word, frequently murder. She talks about it all the time. <laughs> Married two kids and four grandkids. I got to tell you, it's been a wonderful life, and it's not over yet. I, I got a few more years. I'm going to make them count. I promise you, I'll make them count. I've had people ask me all the time, do you plan to retire? Yes, sir, on my last heartbeat. They say, you going to get any sleep? Yes, sir, on my last heartbeat. I can sleep when I die. In the meantime, I got things to do. I got places to go, opportunities of a lifetime to make a difference in the body of Christ. And as I said in the opening, I work with the world Monday through Saturday. I'm at church on Sunday. All week long, I work with the world constantly. I love Sunday. It's like I get in the world and all the dirt gets on you. I go to church and take a bath on Sunday. That's why we have Sunday. That's why you come and worship God because you're so glad to get rid of all those cussing, snorting people out there that are half crazy, if not totally crazy come to the house of God and worship God and they think we're crazy. 
Well, I'd rather be crazy right than crazy wrong, wouldn't you? And so on July 26, 1969, I tried to throw a hand grenade. It's called a white phosphorus. It burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You can't extinguish it once it starts burning. That's twice the heat necessary to melt the engine out of your car. Contained in a little canister about the size of a, of a soft drink can. And I pulled the pin and I drew back. And I was one second from delivery. But I didn't know I was in the crosshairs of a sniper. He squeezed off around shooting in my head, I'm sure. He missed. He hit my hand. And just as I was about to release, the hand grenade exploded inches from my right ear. And it just blew my face off. And I looked down, my chest was gone. I could see inside me. My back was on fire, skin was dripping off my arms. My left thumb was gone. That bothered me. I can't hitchhike in England. <laughs> left hand. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I tell you what, when you don't have a hand and you're trying to hitchhike, they think they're shaking your fist. Then they, if you try a different finger, they'll run over you. I can tell you that. <laughs> so my left hand suffered the loss of my thumb, but my right hand these three fingers came off and my thumb came off. They were hanging by skin. And I'm pumping blood out of an open artery that the shrapnel or the bullet, something went through it. And I'm pumping blood. I can see my heartbeat and blood shoot out. The only finger left attached was my preaching finger. God left me a mic stand and a preaching finger. Repent. See? You say, why, well, you're just being silly. Oh, no, not to me. That is a sign of a promise. He would let me speak, and I would point the way. And that's my calling. He will always leave you enough to do what he called you to do. And as one man said to me, he asked me what happened, and I said, well, I was injured in Vietnam. He said, boy, that bunch of communists got the best of you. I said, are you kidding? They got the worst. Jesus kept the best. Yeah. Now, the old devil tried to take me out that day. That grenade blew and I went blind in my eye and deaf in my ear. My hair was blown off. I got my hair back. I bought it. <laughs> I did. There's a guy in China that's bald today. I got it. Made in China. I can go on if you want. I was speaking at the Citadel in South Carolina in Charleston. It's a military academy. When I'm through, I'm walking with a four-star general across the parking lot, and the wind whipped up. <laughs> right off my head went my hairpiece. It's going like a frisbee out across that parking lot. I'm taking off running, and a dog shot by me and got my hair and brought it to me. How do you know it was mine? The four stars down on both knees crying. He's laughing so hard. Oh, that mutt. Ah. My ear fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica. It's artificial. And it fell off. I'm sweating. It peeled off like a wet Band-Aid. I didn't even feel it. All of a sudden, thousands of Jamaicans are, and they're pointing at me, and I'm checking my fly. Something's not right. I look, my fly's fine. I look around. There's my ear laying on my shoulder. I can't ignore it. They're not breathing. You got to do something quick or it's going to be Jonestown without the grape Kool-Aid. So I grabbed my ear, dried the sweat, and stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. And that is a true story. I couldn't tell them it's not a miracle. They would have stoned me thinking I was phony. Pastor didn't want me to come here and tell you, hi, I'm Dave. I went to Jamaica and I got stoned. Doesn't sound right, does it, kid? Everybody goes to Jamaica and gets stoned. And I'm laughing about it. You're laughing about it. You better know it. Who's crying now? The devil is. We won that war. And it wasn't fought in Vietnam. One of Vietnam is fought on in hell and one in heaven. And I want you to know something. I would not be here. I told you I would talk about myself, but it would take you down a road to be talking about Jesus. I'm just the broken vessel. He's the power that's in it. Give it up for Jesus today. Yeah. 
And I'm not emotional, I'm not crying, I'm allergic to your carpet, it makes my eyes water. So I, have to, I need to be finished by, pastor's gracious, he didn't tell me he dropped dead by 1245 or, or the ejection sheet throat wrath. <laughs> but I do need to close. And I, I want to tell you that when I came to America, I was, they gave up on me. They, they actually sent me to Japan to die, but it was taking too long. And so they sent me to America. In Japan, it's whenever I asked for the mirror. And when I saw what was left, I took it out of God's hands. I decided I would finish what the communists didn't have the power to do. They didn't have the power to kill me, but I did. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this because it was wrong, but I was under so many drugs and life was so confusing. It's still not justification, but I tried to kill myself. I didn't have a gun. I pulled the tube out and I laid my head back in. I waited to die. And I got hungry. Bad timing. I pulled the wrong tube. I pulled out, I pulled out lunch. And it's dripping on the floor, and I can't understand why I'm not dying. And the doctors came, and they saw what I'd done. Boy, I got chewed out. They got lunch. They ate my lunch. And they sent me to America to die. And, and when I got there, they put me in Brook Army Medical Center, 57 surgeries, and 49 years ago. I'm still a patient at the same hospital. And they let visitors come in. They put us in a room. We called it death row because we, were, we knew why we were there. They wouldn't put us out with other patients because when we died, discouraged those other patients. So they put us in a room where we could discourage each other to death. And we did. I'm the only survivor. Everybody died but me. I'm the only one. Everyone of them died. And it's not fair. One man told me I had a severe case of survivor guilt. And I really don't feel guilty, but I do feel compelled to live my life 12 times more totally for them as well as for myself. People tell me all the time, you're burning the candle at both ends. Yes, I am, and I'm twice as bright. <laughs> Give it all. Leave it. Don't take any of it home with you. Keep yourself so totally invested in the work of God that whenever you fall over dead at 9 or 90, you don't look back from eternity wishing you'd done it different. I'm not going to live with regrets. I want to slide through those pretty gates with blisters on my feet and my hair on fire because I went through hell to get there. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've got good reason to go to heaven. I've already been through hell. Enough. It's enough. No moss. So keep it for Jesus. I'd like to close by telling you, on 9-11, I volunteered to serve in the military again. They laughed. They thought I was teasing, but I wasn't. They said, you're already 100% permanently and totally disabled, not counting mental. <laughs> I was afraid to find that one out. <laughs> Two weeks later, they called back and said, we've changed our mind. We're not going to put you in uniform, but we will make you a, a contractor with the Department of Defense, and we want you to become a resiliency coach. It's officially called now comprehensive soldier fitness program if you're in active duty or recently in active duty you know exactly what I'm talking about and that's why they send me all over the world one, one special operator just his training alone is one million dollars you know what it takes to keep him in the military on active duty a million dollars a year when one of them gets distressed or stressed and they are giving away their valuables, they're not eating normally, they're breaking friendships and suicide seems inevitable, I get the call and they send me to those that are on the edge because they know that I know how they feel. They gave me one the other day, female. Her co-worker was not military, a contractor. At Leavenworth, you can find her online. Her name is Katie Blanchard, one of the sweetest women you'll ever meet in your life. 
Here she is, a beautiful young woman, married to three kids. Her husband's a Black Hawk helicopter in the army, a helicopter pilot in the army. At work, in the job place, this man so hated women and hated women in authority over him, probably tells you a lot more about him than I'm going to tell you, went out at noon, came back with a can full of gasoline, splashed it all over her body and threw a match on her. Set that sweet, precious woman on fire. Oh, her countenance is gone. She's burned so badly. Filled with rage, anger. Wouldn't you, for heaven's sake, you got three kids and a husband, and now your life is totally wiped out because of this idiot? They called me from the hospital and said, our psychiatrist and our psychologist and our docs have given up. They can't penetrate that rage. But Dave, we think you can. I said, give me that kid. Give me that girl. I, that was made for this. And so they did. They set it up where I could meet with her. I don't meet with women ever privately, so I had my wife with me. And my wife and I are sitting in this little conference room, and Katie's on her way. She's not there yet. My wife just said, darling, what are you going to say to her when she walks through that door? I said, it's not what I say. It's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump up, throw my arms around her, and just dance with her all over the floor. She said, you can't do that. That's not Army protocol. I said, I know, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And that moment, the door opened. She looked in. She said, well, you're Dave Reaver. She threw her arms around me, and we danced all over the floor. <laughs> I was made for this. You were made for a purpose. But don't ever live your purpose without, I don't know how to say it. Passion is the thing that drives my purpose. What's the difference? On purpose, you can work at McDonald's, but on passion, you can own a McDonald's, the best franchise in the world. That's the difference I'm talking about. Be a cut above normal. Be above average, above and beyond. Be the 10% above the 100%. Be the ab in the normal, the super in the natural, the extra in the ordinary. You are made for this. Don't settle with the devil to be, well, I'll just play it out till I die. That's the last thing you want to do. Get up and do something for God. You say, well, name it. Name it. How in the world do I have to name when you live in a world of so many opportunities to shine your light for Christ? I don't need to identify it for you. You live in this world. You know what to do. Just do it. And that's Nike. And until they drop you-know-who, I'm not going to buy you-know-what. There you go. <laughs> I got to quit. No, we can go all day. I got to shut up. I brought a little video I'd like to show you. I want you to see it. It's, it runs about five minutes or less. And it'll show you if you're active duty or have been active duty uh, in the global war on terror, including uh, Desert Storm. You will maybe recognize some of the places downrange. They're classified, and I'm not permitted to put the name on it. But you'll recognize it. The places that are uh, video, they're not classified. And uh, you'll see where I've been and what I do downrange, we call it. And you'll also see the two ranches. One is in Colorado and one in Texas. And we bring them to us broken, and we send them back healed. It's called Eagle Summit Ranch, Eagle Summit Ranch, Texas and Colorado. And uh, I hope this, the end of the little presentation shows you the most devastating thing I ever have ever done in my life. And that is to escort our fallen heroes across the battlefields to their final abode. It's called the Angel Flight. Thank you so much for your help with the video.
Everyone in this room, all of us have a sunset, a date, an appointment with the Almighty. I guess I'm saying we all have an angel flight coming. And the day they punch that ticket, where, where will they take you? It's a fair question. If you're in this room and you've never made a commitment to Christ, Maybe today's a good day to settle that. I'm going to take the liberty to lead a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you know in whom you have believed. Pray this prayer and let it be a renewal of your vows. My wife and I did that on our 50th wedding anniversary. Renew your vows with me. And if you don't know Christ and you're not walking in that relationship There's not a better place, not a better time than here and now to make those vows to God. Pray the same prayer with us. You don't have to shout to God. He's not deaf and you don't have to whisper. He's not nervous. Why don't you speak to him from your heart? I'm just going to help you, but you don't need me to pray. I'm just going to help some of you that Say, well, I can't talk to somebody I can't see. Well, you do it every day on your telephone. You have faith there's somebody on the other end listening to you. Well, have faith there's somebody on the other end listening to you this morning. Let's pray this together. You don't even have to bow your heads from your heart. Let your mouth speak now. Lord Jesus, I'm in your house. I came to see you. And you were at home. I'm so glad you're here today. I am witness to and recipient of your grace, your mercy, your love, and your sacrifice. I was guilty of the sin that you died for. And I accept your gift of life through your gift of death. You gave yourself for me so you could give yourself to me and I receive you as my Savior and Lord from this day forward forevermore. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Somebody just made peace with God. That's why we come to church too. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask if you made that decision for Christ before you walk out of this room today, would you please pass that on to somebody? Make declaration of your newfound hope and faith. It will help solidify what you did.